Thank you guys uh, so much for joining us today. Uh, ocean freight contracting, anybody interested? Is this a hot topic at all? A little bit? All right. Um, well, listen, we've got, a, we've got a great panel today. We're really excited uh, to talk about um, the future of ocean freight contracting, where we see kind of the trends and things happening in the industry. We've got some great panelists. Um, I'll just introduce myself quickly. I'm Matt Marshall. I'm the SVP of commercial for NYSHEX. Uh, for those of you that don't know NYSHEX, NYSHEX is a, a contracting performance technology. Uh, we've got seven of the major OCRs on our technology uh, and 250 plus BCOs and NBOs on our technology. So uh, ocean freight contracting is where we live. Um, and so that's what we spend a lot of our time doing. So excited to have you guys here today. And I'll uh, introduce or I'll let our, our panelists introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Jenny Bartoff, Director of Logistics for Bark, makers of BarkBox. So hello to any fellow dog parents, dog lovers, crazy dog people. Um, I've been with the pack, we do love dog puns, for almost 10 years um, and have built and scaled our international and domestic inbound operations from the ground up. Um, so when I joined, we had about 15,000 subscriptions. We now have over 2 million active BarkBox subscriptions and we're in over 33,000 retail outlets carrying Bark product. Um, we also did IPO last June, so it has been never a dull moment, um, and certainly the last two years have been um, challenging and rewarding with a lot of the challenges shippers have faced. Okay. Right. Thank you for having me here, Matt. Um, my name is Sherry Liu. I'm the VP of International Supply Chain at CartParts.com. Uh, CartParts.com is an e-retailer selling all the different aftermarket parts on our own platform. Uh, in my current role, I have three capabilities teams. So the first one is sourcing, basically source of different products for our in-house brands. Second one is the replenishment, basically work our inventory forecasting, take the plan and execute, work with our vendor to get the product in. The third group is really related to the, uh, the topic today is inbound logistics and trade compliance. Great. Yeah, so we have a really unique set of experiences here. We're excited to share this with you. And so given that we've got 30 minutes, uh, we could probably talk about this for hours. We'll, we'll dive right in and try to get, uh, get down to it. Um, so why don't we just start with the, the last couple of years of ocean contracting have, uh, let's say, not been normal. Um, so how have you guys adjusted your strategy uh, you know, in the last two years? And, and I think importantly for this group, where do you see it going in 2023 and beyond? So I guess I'll take the very first one. Uh, I think the last year is very loud. I talk too loud. Uh, I think the last year has been different. Is uh, we see a lot more multi-year contract in place and enforceable contract, and also the last or this current year, what's very different is you're trying to get enough space, and you are not in a position that you can negotiate, you can leverage. Um, my team actually joked with me about. When they're trying to sign a contract with a carrier, they say, Sherry, he's a guy. He's like, I'm going to a beauty contest. I'm going to put on my makeup. I'm going to show how like, attractive I am as a shipper and trying to get us as much of the space. So that's kind of a different from what we have seen in the past couple of years. Yeah, it's very interesting. I'm going to come back to a couple of those things that you said. Um, Jenny, what about you? Yeah, so a core piece of our retail and associated logistics strategy is to nurture true partnerships. And so across retailers, all of Bark's product is custom and made to order, and so there's not going to be the same product across retailers, which is a superpower we're proud of, but then on the inbound side is, is really like the timeliness and reliability is critical, um, and so we can't swap in a replacement SKU. It's really not an option for us. And so 
in spring of last year, May 21, we did move a portion of volume from freight forwarders to becoming the BCO on a NYCHEX enforceable contract. I mean, we've had incredibly strong performance, which we'll, we'll talk more about, um, but the performance was so strong that we just started our second year on enforceable contracts increasing from one to two, both multi-year, and we also have an additional carrier direct contract. Yeah, it's interesting. Both of you guys mentioned this concept of enforceable contracts. Um, I think we've seen uh, multi-year contracts, we've seen index-based contracts, we've seen a lot of different, I'll call it new con uh, contracting products, and, and some, I think there's like a sense of like, are these real? Like, do these exist? Are people doing these? Um, how did you guys think, think of this as part of your overall strategy and, and those types of products or other products you explored? Yeah, so I think sort of our before picture, uh, much of 2020, half of 21, before we moved to this model, we were kind of stuck in that cycle of the challenges everyone had, either weeks of delay or just full-on gridlock at Shanghai. Things were not moving. Rates have been skyrocketing. Um, and so we, we had to do something that was going to guarantee protection and stability. And so we did see when we started working on and in the contract, the inventory that was allocated to it was moving as planned. So week after week, the allocations were met in full, um, and cargo was leaving about a week after readiness, which is sort of pre-pandemic normalcy. Um, and so we did employ a lot of tactics to foster and support that, um, but given the strength of the results, it only made sense to lengthen the scope and, and the breadth of them. Yeah, I'll ask one follow-up uh, question, then we'll, we'll come back to you, Sherry. But as you, as you think about the length of the contract, um, there's obviously this trade-off of, of rates. Everyone's trying to ask, we'll, we'll come to this in a, in a little bit, but uh, everyone's trying to figure out where are the rates, what should they be, how do we think about these multi-year contracts? Like, how did you guys think about signing longer-term contracts at fixed rates over two and three-year periods? That's something that historically in, in the industry really hasn't been done. So with the customized nature of both the retail and subscription operations, the timeliness of the product and then weighing that against inventory carrying costs is a huge focus. And so. We, didn't, we don't want to be reacting to shipments that are two weeks out. We want to think about the longevity of six months, two years, and also like building those relationships. So when Bark is in 10 million households, um, we have that stability already in place. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think for some work, you know, car parts, so it's not something like you have a lot of substitution. It's not like, you know, you have a Toyota camera, you say, oh, Toyota camera, headlights out of that. Let me buy a BMW X3 headlights, <laughs> right? So, so our focus is really customer focused. So we have to have right parts at the right place at the right time. So it's really important for us to have a consistent cargo flow and allocation. So when we uh, was introduced about enforceable contract last year, we thought, oh, this is interesting. You know, let's give it a shot, let's give it a try. So we allocate a small portion of our volume and we just saw huge benefits uh, last year. So this year, we're like, okay, multi-year contract, enforceable contract, let's see how we can do it. And you guys all know it, no one can predict future 100%. And for us, we really see as this multi-year contract, not just like your traditional ocean carrier contract. We actually see as more financial products, like a hedging contract. So the way how we do it, like my team has a very strong expertise in ocean freight contract. We work with our finance team, help us build a very comprehensive financial models. So we project our rates, you know, year by, you know, week by week, and go through the whole model with the different scenarios. And we take the plan and walk our C-suite through, say, 
this is what we think. This is what we think. The pickup would be, and in the worst scenario, what could be the penalty or loss? I think that's what everyone's trying to figure it out, right? And Professor Sisu is like, okay, that makes sense. Go ahead and let's give it a try. Um, if you're going to ask me, do we take a risk? Absolutely. Um, but I think it's a risk of calculated risk. It's not just like, I'm just going to sign a contract. I don't care about two years from now. Just sign to get the stuff done. Like, it's really a long-term, comprehensive review of the process. And that's what we think it should work. And I think my recommendation, as you know, we talk about people say, do people resign multi-year contract? Is it real, enforceable? I think my recommendation is, you know, as long as this contract provides you financial justification, give you some of the result you will want, I would say give it a try, just a small portion, and just to see. So you're not putting all eggs in one basket, but you're trying a small portion and just see if it works for you. Yeah, it's really interesting, and I spend you know most of my time in my role talking to shippers about how they're thinking about contracts, and I'll give you guys a couple of stats to add to, to what Jenny and Sherry have said. But you know, on NYSHEX alone, we probably did 250,000 TEUs worth of uh, enforceable multi-year contracts with some of our carrier partners. So very meaningful volumes, and some of the carriers out there we've seen do 20% uh, of their global volume on committed long-term contracts. Uh, not necessarily through NYSHEX, but just in general, there's lots of products that are out there that are on the committed contract side. Uh, we've seen some go multi-year on 50% of their volume. And so uh, there's, we'll, we'll get into this kind of strategic partnership question in a couple of minutes, but um, there's really a, a lot of interest uh, that we see talking to carriers about how do we you know, kind of look at this opportunity and figure out who are the long-term strategic partnerships uh, that we're going to form with uh, with our customers and and committed contracts or, or long-term contracts are one way to do that. And for those of you that have not heard of the term enforceable or committed contracts, basically think of it as um, penalties for enforcement of non-performance on both sides. So if carrier doesn't deliver, shipper doesn't uh, deliver, there's potentially penalties there, which again, prior to the pandemic, uh, probably not a lot of appetite for that, but uh, have seen a lot of that shift over the last two years. So. Um, I guess as we transition to the next questions, really around uh, technology, and then we'll come back to the, uh, the, the strategic partnership piece. Um, how did you guys think about uh, technology, either as part of your contracting process or um, as part of your supply chain in, in general? I think we've heard a lot this week on uh, a lot of different supply chain technology offerings. I think McKinsey had a study uh, in one of their sessions the other day, 80 billion invested in supply chain technology in the last decade. That uh, blew my mind. Obviously not all startups and those sorts of things, but 80 billion is a pretty big number. H how have you guys thought about that to, to support your business? Sure. Um, so the forecasting and the rolling volume forecast have been really critical to our success. And so we've focused resources and working with the NYCHEX team on technology to support um, and to automate and build a dashboard for those carrier allocations so that my operators on a daily basis as they're playing that game of Tetris game of what POs, what contract, what's the most important, they're not, we're giving them something better than Excel, which we all know and love, um, but also helping them make better business decisions. The contracts have different price points, origin destination pairings, threshold for delays, and so giving them a tool in which they can weigh all of those factors, see what's been allocated, see what they have left to work with has been really our key focus. Yeah, it's interesting you, you mentioned Excel. I think in that same uh, McKinsey okay. meeting, I think they said like 70% of 
uh, folks are still using Excel as the, as the source of truth out there, which we know will need to evolve over time. Uh, Sherry, what about you? Yeah, so at copywriters.com, we're a very data-driven uh, company, so we use our analytics tool and internally build a dashboard, basically monitor all our carriers, all our performance, what's the allocation, we're committed to them, how much they have given us, and track. And we review on a weekly, monthly, quarterly, year, of course, all that basis. And we also get a dedicated team to always talking to a carrier, just make sure we get those allocations. And, and yes, it's funny how you mentioned about McKinsey. Yeah, like we all love spreadsheet. I'm sure everyone's going to be continuing <laughs> nodding their head. But um, I think technology solutions is definitely a one way to go to help us to manage this supply chain. Um, and the other thing at our company is we actually set up a data science team. We got PhDs really helping us doing AI, machine learning, and helping us to solve end to end supply chain. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And as you think about the contracting process in, in general, again, pre-pandemic, uh, when if you didn't get space on your contract, you could go somewhere else. Uh, very different than today. And I think where we see things going, um, being able to manage your contracts in the long term is going to be something that's, that's going to be needed. I think we, we see our, our you know, carriers becoming better and better at managing their capacity. And so that fixed, you know, unless we go back to a world of excess capacity, which I don't know if anyone really sees that coming. I think you know the, the contract performance will matter more than it's ever uh, has in the past. So um, let's shift gears back to that question on strategic partnerships. Um, I know you guys have thought a lot about this. Uh, carriers that we talk to are, are thinking a lot about this. Um, Sherry, why don't we start with you here on how did you guys evaluate your partners uh, for this year and then, and then beyond? I think it's our belief that both carriers and shippers want the same thing. Like they want predictability, they want visibility, they also really want to be a true partner to each other. So, you know, given with that train of thoughts, you're like, how can we become a strategic partner to them? Not just a joke around a beauty contest, but really like what does everyone want? So I think for us really continue show them the continuous growth, financial stability, and of course pay on time. You know, freight bill is expensive. Uh, pay on time is also a good indicator as being a strategic partner. And I think besides like, you know, for my group, I have operation, but really you want to work with your cross-functional team, your inventory forecasting team, your merchandising team as you plan your next year, what your assortment strategy will look like, what products you're gonna ship it from, the volume, all that, like really working closely to provide a holistic view and take that plan and work with your carriers. Like, this is what my allocation is, this is what we think the volume is, and then just, you know, communicate it with what your projection and be very honest with it and be very transparent with that. And, and how did you find it went, right? I think we, you know, again, I spent a lot of time talking to shippers and some of their carriers in the past, you know, weren't able to offer them contracts or space this year. Like, how did you, did you encounter any of those situations? How did you deal with that? Like, it's hard, right? I mean, this, everybody, every shipper wants to get space. Carriers are trying to figure out how much capacity is available on their, on their vessels. Like, how did you guys work through those, like, really, like, tense issues? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think one thing definitely is the long-term partnership with the carriers and being open and transparent about the issues you're dealing with. And I think definitely the enforceable contract really helped us to continue securing the space and also show the carriers we're committed to doing this together. And then we're willing to put some fun in there in the neutral party and then if we couldn't give you a volume, you can take away my money. But really, I think it's both parties really want to have a consistent flow. So I think also enforcer contract was really a big factor to help us to assess this. All right. Jenny, what do you think? 
Yeah, so we took a very disciplined and sort of purist approach to the contracts. It was our first year as BCO. Working with the carriers can be intimidating, even with a partner like NYCHIX. And so I think we had to prove ourselves a bit. Um, so we, we really felt that if we showed up week after week with consistent performance, the carriers would and could potentially re respond the same way. And for us, they did. Um, and so it was very deliberate. Um, very purposeful, we would manipulate volume to meet the weekly contract allocations deliberately. And so if we had to push back cargo ready dates or massage volume or adjust buying habits, um, but we really were sort of relentlessly aggressive in working within the contract allocations um, and sort of applying this internal accountability the same way you'd want from your origin, destination, your Dre partners, holding ourselves to that same discipline. Um, and then I think also, challenges occur, like there's there's no world in which that doesn't happen. So I, I certainly had to pick up the phone numerous times and be like, okay, we have an obstacle, like how can we work together on this? Um, but I think we did demonstrate how much we value the partnerships both in the performance, but then also being really proactive when challenges were happening. Yeah, I wanna dig into that last comment a little bit. Um, I think in the opening keynote session, we heard the CEO of Tractor Supply talk about how they manage their space and, and if uh, you know one, one supplier fell through, they try to fill that capacity with another supplier. How, how did you guys, did you guys run into similar situations? And, and my, my follow-up to your last comment was, um, how did carriers take those sorts of conversations when something went wrong potentially? Like how did you, how did you deal with that? So I think we were tried to be as forward-looking as possible, so to see behind the curtain or, or the corner of challenges. I mean, so in giving enough lead time for people to respond, they could either work with a different shipper, give off that space. We could help them supplement the space, or we could just be really transparent that, hey, we're not gonna meet week one, but how about week three? Can we simply roll over? And I think for us, it was just a lot of that proactive communication when either challenges were controllable or uncontrollable factors, but just being really communicative. Great, and, and have you found that to be reciprocated? Yeah. Okay, that's great, because yeah. I think, you know, my guess is there are a lot of shippers here in the room that have kind of dealt with, you know, if there's non-performance, sometimes allocation will get cut, and you're trying to figure out how do you deal with that, and, and so it sounds like you've had some success being able to kind of, as long as you're proactive, and we've, we've heard similar things from the carriers, is they're looking for communication, supply chains are not perfect, I think we all see that today, and it sounds like the communication and the building those strategic relationships have been really helpful for you? Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else you wanna add there? Okay, now, now let's go to a little bit of a hot button topic. Um, I, wanna, I wanna see how, how people are thinking about this. So for the first time in, let's call it two-ish years, we're seeing spot rates start to get close to contract rates, especially on the long-term fixed, uh, fixed rate. I think everyone's kind of watching Shanghai, what's gonna happen, where are the rates gonna go? Um, it's, it's, it's kind of top of mind for everybody. Um, and, and, and really kind of, I think there's a big question on how will uh, shippers and carriers react if those spot rates do fall below contract rates and what do you do and so you guys have just signed up for multi-year agreements enforceable contracts uh, not you know those those are not you know necessarily prevalent everywhere but how are you guys thinking about it I mean there's there's probably if the spot rates were to fall further there's probably money on the table like how do you guys think about it so um, you asked your question so we have been monitoring the spot rate and our contract rate very very closely um, for us, it has been our strategy to work with direct carriers and MVOCC, kind of just you know, be flexible in the market. 
um, but you know, doesn't mean like when kind of the line crosses each other, we're not going to take advantage of it or you know, be very more trying to get that right rate. But at the same time, we're fully aware this could be temporarily. You know, it could, the spot rates could spike up in Q3, so you really want to be very balanced with your direct carrier's relationship. And I think one thing I want to point out, you know, bear in mind, ocean freight rate is just one of the inbound logistic expense in your total cost of goods sold, and that will impact your bottom line. So within my team, we're fully aware of this. And then, you know, there's other expenses, like your D&D, your, you know, how long you can have equipment and a lot of different things, and which is, could be very, very different from your spot contract provider versus your contract supply or contract carrier. So like the term, like the rates could be very different. So you want to really take that whole thing into consideration and say, if I pick up $500, in ocean freight rate, but I only have three free days versus, you know, I pay $300, but like I have 10 days on the equipment. You have to kind of balance, really look at your whole entire operations, like, does that make sense? Because you don't want to just take a, you know, advantage of the rates, but really jeopardize the relationship you're trying to build with your ocean carrier. So I think it's a very fine balance. You have to look at it. And going back to about the communication, the partnership. So we have always been talking to our direct carrier saying, you know the race is going down. So, you know, you have to think about how you want to kind of play in the market. And you'll be surprised. Some carriers actually come back to us saying, we understand, and we're going to temporarily offer you a lower, lower rate just for us to be in competitive in the market. So there's always a communication of different things you can, you know, maneuver in this, uh, in this market. Yeah, that's really interesting, and I think uh, you, you bring up a good point in terms of like the last question, which is how do you build strategic partnerships, and then you've got this really unique kind of transactional, potentially transactional opportunity in the market. Um, Jenny, what what are you what are you thinking? How did how are you guys assessing as we start to for the first time see those rates uh, come come uh, into par with each other? Yeah, so I think every shipper and su every supply chain has to determine what are their non-negotiables, right, and the most important factors. Um, and so the committed contract allocation, right, it does give a predictability and a risk mitigation that like has so much tangible cost associated with it. Um, and so we do think even in the, the balance of the year in which the spot might be lower than the contract, things are still going to net out favorably overall between the cost perspective, the control and the predictability, and then also the risk mitigation that is inherently baked into that kind of enforceable structure. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting, and, and, and again, like, you know, most of my time is spent talking to folks like yourself, and, and, you know, that's kind of the consistent feedback that we're hearing is everyone's watching the rates closely. Um, I think there is very much a hesitancy to, you know, break contracts and go after, although Lodestar put out an interesting article I'm sure folks saw last week on some surveys they did about uh, people, you know, wanting to go out and break contracts if that happened, and I think there's a lot of concern in the market that if you break a contract, what does that mean? Um, you know, how do you continue to work with partners, um, especially in, in the alliance structure? Um, it's very challenging. And so I think, you know, most of what we see, yes, that's out there. Maybe that makes sense for a portion of my business that's not on a contract. Maybe I only contracted 90% of my business and 10% is left for, for spots, so I can go take advantage. But I think the general consensus is if Shanghai looks to come out strong, that we're, we're probably headed back up from a rate perspective. And, and that could carry all the way through um, through Chinese New Year next year. So 
Um, very interesting time for sure, uh, given where the rates are and you know, for the first time. But um, I guess the last question is, you know, if there were, call it three things, three pieces of advice you would give to the group here as we wrap up, as they think about uh, the contracting uh, season, which by the way, I'll, I'll you know, give a tip my hat a little bit, um, talking to some carriers will likely start in October of this year. Um, last year, we saw contracts getting signed in August, September for May of this year. So for those of you that are thinking, oh, my contract's done, it's finally, it's, it's June, it's in the books, like I think unfortunately we're gonna start this season all over again uh, in just a couple of months. But what, what piece of advice would you give, um, you know, if you had two or three things to give to folks as we wrap up here? Do you wanna start, Sherry? Sure, I think the very first one is definitely start early. Keep that communication with your strategic partners, um, either carriers or MVOCC, whatever you have. Like, keep that communication early, like what Matt is saying. I think even though we have a long-term contract, but it's a portion of our allocation, but you have to keep that communication. Going earlier, just, you know, continue to be a strategic partner to them. Um, the second one I would say, you know, a lot of speakers that one is really looking at your supply chain end-to-end -end with a holistic view because you know, our topic today is ocean freight contract, but really this work with a lot of different functionality, your sourcing, your inventory allocation, a lot of things, like we really look at an overview together and to know like where should I work, you know, which carrier has a better assets in this lane, like making sure you have a strategic plan in place and working out with the vendors earlier on that one. That's great. Yeah, I would expand on that and say, make the long-term decisions and strategy execution and try and stick with that. Not that you can't be, or you have to be flexible and adapt, um, but also right, don't treat it like the stock market and like the price next month versus what that might do to the relationship six months from now or two years from now if you're constantly going back and forth. Um, and then I think hold yourself accountable, right? If you are not performing strong and it's controllable factors, how can you expect your partners to also show up and perform at the level you want them to? Um, and then I would say lastly, I do think that proactive communication has been really key in sort of approaching tough conversations with that spirit of humanity. It's been a tough few years for everybody and I think that approach has a lot, can be a powerful tool that might not always be top of mind. That's great. I think it's great advice, and, and I'll, I'll kind of summarize some of the stuff that I heard you guys say today. It sounds like um, really look for good strategic partners for the long term, whether or not you do longer term contracts, but finding the right partners, um, potentially exploring uh, different types of contracting products. We see the carriers coming out with lots of different options, um, and, and then potentially looking at like how can technology help you support um, your, your supply chain strategy, your contracting strategy. So I think that's what, what we'll leave you with uh, today. Um, we really appreciate the time. Uh, this stuff is really difficult in, in, in these last couple of years in particular. Um, and I, you know, I, I, wish I, would say, I wish I could sit here and say it's, it's gonna get easier. I think everything that we see um, says this may be the, the new normal, maybe not at these rate levels and the congestion, but as supply and demand rebalances, I think we see um, you know, the contracting process is, is gonna be very different moving forward and will be far less transactional than it's been in the past um, with you know, the, how tightly the capacity is managed. So thank you guys all for coming today. Let's give uh, Jenny and Sherry a nice round of applause here.